here, or a few moments here, to <coughs> kind of give a little bit of the uh, background, some kind of statistical things about the book, as uh, then we'll jump into uh, the survey of it. Uh, the main lesson that, if you take uh, one, we try to get one main lesson over the book of Deuteronomy, I think it would have to be this, that, uh, that we ought to believe and to obey God in order to receive his blessing. We ought to obey, believe and obey God in order to receive his blessing. The reason I say that is the book of Deuteronomy is written to the new generation of the Israelites. While Leviticus was written to the old generation at the foot of Mount Sinai, uh, 38 plus years now have passed, and they have traveled um, uh, in the area of Kadesh Barnea. They've now come over to the east side of the Jordan River. We're looking at it this way. They're coming over on the east side, and they're getting ready to cross over into the Promised Land. And uh, they're there on the plains of Moab, and this is about the final 30 days or so before they begin the conquest of Canaan. And uh, this is where the, the book takes place. This is the time frame that it's there. Uh, and so we find that the law that was given in Leviticus um, was primarily, if you take time to study it and look at it, it's really primarily focusing on instructions for the Levites and the priests and the priesthood and all of the religious things that are supposed to be observed and practiced and uh, was primarily a focus on uh, the Levites. It did have some laws for the children of Israel as well, but mostly in the area of worship. <coughs> when we get to the book of Deuteronomy, we find that God is um, re reissuing, uh, reinstating, if you will, the, the covenant that he had made back with the children of Israel at the foot of Mount Sinai. And uh, so he's doing this because there's a whole other generation that has now been raised in the wilderness wanderings. And... Uh, this covenant was to be renewed, and then you'll find that throughout the book of Deuteronomy, uh, the focus and the intent is not so much the Levites and the priests. It's written mostly to the people, the nation of Israel. And because of that, God expands greatly uh, the law that he had given some of it in Exodus and some of it in Leviticus. And he expounds on it, he expands it, he, he pulls a lot more detail into it that was not known before. Uh, and understand this, that the Bible, uh, just because we read something in, let's say, the book of Genesis and we find a truth there, uh, doesn't mean that that is all there is to that truth. Because God continued to write his word. He continued to give revelation. And oftentimes he would expand on those truths and give more explanation of it, give more clarity of it, sometimes broaden it and cause people to understand the scope of it better. And he does that throughout the 1,400 or so years that the Bible was being written uh, until we get to the end and John finally says, that's it, there is no more revelation. So we need to understand that uh, though he gave the law in Leviticus, you'll find as you get to Deuteronomy, there's a lot more in here than there was in the book of Leviticus. And the reason for that is he's writing now to the people. He deals with three main areas, and he does so... Uh, through three messages. If you take the book of De Deuteronomy, you can basically divide it into three sermons that Moses preaches. And uh, we'll take a closer look at that here in just a little bit. There are several names that this book is known by uh, in, in uh, describing what the book is. Some of the Jews refer to it as the five-fifths law, meaning it's the fifth of five books of the law. 
Some people refer to it as the repetition of the law. Some, of it, some people refer to it as the second law, and some people refer to it as the book of remembrance. If you hear any of those phrases, it is in reference to uh, the book of Deuteronomy. Uh, this is basically a farewell message from Moses. He's getting to the end of his life. If you remember, uh, because of some of the sin of Moses, and when he struck the rock rather than speaking to the rock, God told him because of that he was not going to be able to enter into the promised land. And uh, so they're getting ready. It's time to go in. And Moses knows he's not going. And God has already revealed that to him. He's already aware of that. And so he's about 120 years old at this point, And he's giving kind of, if you will, his farewell address to the people. Um, and so he's trying to char- charge them. He's trying to give them some insight into some things. <coughs> then, um, let's see here. The author we obviously know to be Moses. Uh, for all of the book of Deuteronomy, with the exception possibly of uh, chapter number 34, which is, uh, or 24, I'm sorry, which is the, no, 34, I'm sorry, I wrote the wrong number down here. It was 34. Uh, chapter, I was going to say 24, there's more chapters than that in Deuteronomy. I have a typo in the notes if you get them after class here. So every once in a while I do type uh, things wrong. So, um, but anyway, chapter 34 was most likely written by Joshua. Uh, because it gives the narrative of uh, uh, Moses writing and gives a few words about him. Um, more than uh, 80 times uh, in the New Testament, in 17 of the books, of the 27 books of the New Testament, it is referred to, Deuteronomy specifically, is referred to as a book of Moses. And so attributing the authorship to Moses I don't think is any problem. We have um, evidences outside of the book itself. Uh, we have evidences in 17 other books of the New Testament that teach us that Christ, uh, when he was being tempted in the desert and the wilderness, uh, recited Scripture and he quotes and he gives att- he attributes uh, the Scripture that he gives to Satan to Moses. Uh, and so again, even Christ himself uh, mentions the fact that Moses is the hu- human instrument to do this. Um, there are a number of uh, external evidences. I've given nine of them in the notes. And uh, you find some in Joshua chapter 1 and verse 7. Again, I'll have these available for you after, after the Sunday school hour if you'd like to take them. Joshua chapter 1 verse 7. Judges chapter 3 and verse 4. First, uh, First Kings chapter 2 and verse 3. First Kings chapter 14 and verse 6. Ezra chapter 3 and verse 2. Nehemiah chapter 1 verse 7. Psalms 103.7 and Daniel 9.11 and Malachi 4.4 are several of the external evidences uh, other than the New Testament uh, where Moses is attributed for writing the book. Um, the perspective of the book is written from a viewpoint of being outside of Canaan. They are not in the promised land yet. So that's another evidence of it being uh, of, uh, of uh, Moses' writings. And... Um, then the time of it is taking place in the plains of Moab, just east of the Jordan. covers about one month of time just before they go into Canaan. And uh, so you kind of have a little bit of the setting now, the background behind it, uh, how it was written. And uh, now we're going to get into some of the, the meat of it, if you will, and some of the structure of it. Uh, the most obvious, we're going to look at the Christ, how Christ, the Lord Jesus Christ, is represented in Deuteronomy and we've tried to do this in each of the Old Testament books. A lot of people say, well, Jesus Christ is not shown in the Old Testament, but He is. Over and over again, we find Him pictured and shown and even told about and promised 
in the Old Testament. So let's take a couple looks here at some things in Deuteronomy that help us to see Christ in the Old Testament. Uh, the most obvious portrait and one of the most pronounced ones, I think, in the entire Old Testament is found here in the book of Deuteronomy. If you take your Bible and turn to Deuteronomy chapter number 18, Deuteronomy chapter 18, let's take a quick look at it. Deuteronomy chapter 18, and let's look in verse number 15. And uh, again, this is the second message that Moses is preaching to the nation of Israel. And he makes this statement in verse number 15. He says, The Lord thy God will raise up thee a prophet. Now, if you have a King James Bible, the letter P ought to be capitalized there. I hope that's in your book uh, as well. And uh, the understanding here that there's going to come a prophet, capital P, again referencing the fact that it is deity in flesh. That Christ Himself, and so the Lord thy God will raise up thee a prophet from the midst of thee, uh, of thy brethren, like unto me, unto him ye shall hearken. In verse 15, not only shows us that there is a picture of Christ uh, being portrayed or spoken of here, and even being prophesied by Moses, that there's going to come a time when this one will come, and he will come out of this people, but he also says, like me, like unto me. And so, again... Uh, we already mentioned this earlier in the book of, I think it was Leviticus, that Moses himself is a picture of Christ. Now understand that there are many pictures of, of, of things in the Old Testament that picture and illustrate things in the New Testament. And because of the imperfection of things here on earth, they do not 100% line up, but they do picture certain things. They Many times will picture an attribute or um, the way that Christ works. And so Moses... Uh, here is a picture of Christ in several ways. Uh, first of all, he held uh, three offices. In, in, in actuality, the Lord our God is our uh, Christ is our prophet. Uh, he is our priest, and he is our king. He's, he's all three of those, and we find that Moses is also filling all of these these positions. In Deuteronomy chapter thirty-four and uh, verse number ten. Uh, notice that it says in there, uh, if you got a minute to turn back, there's the last chapter in uh, Deuteronomy. Notice that what it says about Moses here. And there arose not a prophet since in Israel like unto Moses. And so again, we see that Moses uh, was a prophet. You'll find when you get to the third message that, that Moses gives to the Israelites, uh, it's all about what is getting ready to happen to them. And so, again, he's giving prophecies, telling them what's going to happen here in the near future. And uh, so he's referred to here as a prophet. If you take a moment and turn back to Exodus, hold your place here in Deuteronomy. Let's go back to the book of Exodus, chapter number 32. Exodus, chapter number 32. And let's look in verse number uh, 31, I believe, if I got the verse right here. And Moses returned unto the Lord and said, O this people have sinned a great sin, and have made them gods of gold. Yet now, if thou wilt forgive their sin, and if not, blot me, I pray thee out of the book which thou hast written. And the Lord said unto Moses, Whosoever hath sinned against me, him will I blot out of my book. Therefore, therefore, now go lead the people unto the place which I have spoken unto thee, Behold, mine angel shall go before thee. Nevertheless, in the day when I visit, I will visit their sin upon them. And the Lord plagued the people because they made the calf 
which Aaron had made. And so God uses Moses in this case as an intercessory uh, priest. He's the one that is there to, uh, to remedy the sin of Israel that even Aaron himself uh, had been a part of. And then we find the, the position of king. And while Moses, and a lot of people say, well, Pastor, Moses wasn't a king. And that's true uh, by a title. But by the, by the fact that he was the ruler of Israel, he was the one that was in charge of Israel, uh, in many ways he pictures the kingship of the Lord Jesus Christ. Again, being the ruler and the leader of, of uh, Israel. And we find that again in Deuteronomy chapter number 33. <clears throat> Look with me, if you will, Deuteronomy chapter 33. Moses commanded us a law, even the inheritance of the congregation of Jacob. And he was a king in Jeshurun when the heads of the people and the tribes of Israel uh, were gathered together. And so again, uh, while he was not an elected king by the people like Saul was, he did fill that role in that position uh, of king or ruler over Israel. Uh, so we find that that is a wonderful picture of the Lord Jesus Christ in the Old Testament. Uh, there's other pictures of Moses that are interesting that are parallels to his life. Both the Lord Jesus Christ and Moses were under threat during their infancy to be killed. If you'll remember, um, Moses' mother had to put him uh, in a basket made of uh, bulrushes and uh, pitched inside and out and uh, that uh, the babies were going to be killed of two years of age and under. You'll remember when the wise men came to see Jesus, Herod found out about it, and he decided he was going to kill all the babies two years and under. And so again, we find they both uh, were uh, uh, experiencing this. They both served as intercessors for God's people. They both went and interceded on behalf of God's people. Times that... Uh, God was ready to destroy Israel and begin a new nation out of Moses. And Moses comes to him and says, no, I want to intercede on their behalf. And God says, okay, Moses, that'll be fine. Both of them were rejected by their brethren. Uh, Moses was certainly rejected by the nation of Israel, especially uh, when he first came. And even as they were following through the wilderness, if you think about it, time and time again, they rejected Moses. They said, we wish you'd have just left us alone, left us in Egypt. And uh, yet uh, they, we find that uh, after all Moses did, you'd think, boy, these people would really be anxious and eager to follow him, especially when they saw all the miracles. Well, we think that about the Lord Jesus Christ, too, though, don't we? That people ought to be excited about following him. People ought to be excited about uh, uh, following his leadership because of all the miracles, all the things that he has done to prove himself to be God. And so, again, uh, Moses is a wonderful picture here. Uh, of the Lord Jesus Christ. We see things that pictured in the Old Testament that came to pass in the New Testament. There are several uh, keys to the book of Deuteronomy. The key word here is covenant. And um, when you look at the three passages, of uh, three distinct divisions of this book, three messages, sermons that Moses preaches, all of it is in establishing. The middle one is in expanding. And then the third one is in getting it to conclude and to ratify and to get it to go into, into uh, force, the covenant that God is making and renewing with the uh, nation of Israel in the plains of Moab. And so the entire book, even though it's a law and it gives us uh, areas of the law, it's all about God establishing a covenant with the new generation uh, that is there. 
And so he expands on that. Uh, I believe, now this is a personal opinion, and if you'll disagree with me on this, that's fine. We don't have to. But it's interesting, is it not, that we have an old generation, uh, and then we have that, that God made a covenant with, and then when there's a new generation, that generation is passed off, and a new generation is, is born, we find that God gives a, a, an expanded of that, of that covenant, and He goes in and gives even more of that covenant. It's amazing to me how that uh, when people were under the law, uh, there was one law that was given and one covenant. We call it the Old Testament. And yet when Christ died on Calvary, He instituted a new testament, a new covenant, uh, if you will. And uh, again, that covenant is expanded because we are no longer under the law. Now we're under grace, aren't we? And there's so much more in the New Testament that there is to uh, the Christian life than there was in the Old Testament under the law and the situation under the law. And I, I, I just find that interesting that there's a parallel there, I think, uh, to be drawn. And again, if somebody doesn't see it or you don't think that that's an adequate thing, that's fine. That's a personal uh, observation there, not something I can prove from Scripture, but it is interesting. It's an interesting uh, uh, way that it lines up and falls alongside of some things there. Uh, the key verses are, there's two uh, different ones that I want us to look at. Uh, the first one is found in Deuteronomy chapter number 10. Let's go to Deuteronomy chapter number 10 and uh, look in verse number 12. Deuteronomy chapter 10 and uh, let's go to verse number 12. <clears throat> and now, Israel, <coughs> what doth the Lord thy God require of thee? But to fear the Lord thy God, to walk in His ways, and to love Him, and to serve the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul. That sounds kind of familiar, doesn't it? You remember the man, the lawyer, who came to Jesus, and he said, What is the greatest commandment? What did Jesus tell him? Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind. Notice he says, verse 13, To keep the commandments of the Lord and His statutes, which I command thee this day for thy good. This, I think, is a wonderful principle that is not only taught here in Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy, but is taught throughout Scripture. And that is this, that our love for God will always motivate, will always motivate us to be obedient to His commandments. You cannot love God the way that you, that you ought to love God and, and despise or, or do not like or, or bristle against His commandments. If there's that kind of a, a, a spirit towards what God has given in His book, then our love is wrong. There's something wrong with our love. The, the, the obedience ought to always be motivated out of love. That's what it ought to be. Now, if that love's not there, does that excuse us from obedience? No. If you can't do it any other way, obey because it's right. And the Bible teaches us that in Ephesians chapter number 6. Children, obey your parents in the Lord. In other words, obey your parents as if they, you were obeying the Lord. Obey your parents in the Lord, for this is what? Right. If you can't do it any other way, do it because it's right. Have the character to do it. But all oh, the joy in the Christian life. That's when, when God tells us, He says, My commands are not grievous. He's speaking of the commands that are obeyed in love. They aren't grievous to us. We long for those things. We look forward to those things. We ought to look forward. What does God tell me about how I should live my life? If my life needs to be cleaned up, if I need some things in my life, I want those things to be taught to me. I want to see them in God's Word. I'm, I'm yearning for those things. I may not like them all the time, 
But I want to see Him because I want to be pleasing to Him. I love Him with all my heart. And that's the idea. So he says that in verse number 13, "...to keep the commandments of the Lord and His statutes, which I command thee this day for thy good." <coughs> and so uh, we find here that there are two uh, concepts, the idea of loving the Lord and then keeping His commandments. That's in the first key verse. The second one we find in Deuteronomy chapter number 30, and I think this one kind of goes along with this uh, in a lot of ways. Uh, Deuteronomy chapter 30, and let's look in verse number 19. I call heaven and earth to record this day against you, that I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore, choose life. That thou, uh, that both thou and thy seed may live. Now I'm going to stop here for a moment and let you understand this: that in the Old Testament practice of making a covenant with someone, uh, once the sacrifice was was made and the animal was broken into two halves and laid on the ground, the parties that were going to enter into this covenant, uh, we use the word contract today. And to be real frank with you, contract is not a strong enough word for covenant. Because covenant, what God instituted as covenant in the Bible, was not to be broken under penalty of being put to death. In other words, if you didn't keep your word on a covenant after you had cut the covenant with somebody, you had every right to be killed. They had every right to kill you for that. That that would that would nullify a lot of contracts today, wouldn't it? We wouldn't enter nearly as many of them as we do if that were the case. Covenants were very, very strong. And so each party, they didn't enter a covenant lightly. It was something that when they covenanted together on something, they became one in entity in agreement on whatever it was that they were making that covenant about. They were saying, my will is your will, your will is my will. We are in this thing together. It is one person, it is one, one being following after this thing that we're in agreement on. And they would come together in the middle of this sacrifice, and they would stand in the blood that had been spilt by the sacrifice being cut open. And while standing there in this blood, they would express the blessings and the curses uh, to the covenant. In other words, here's what you gain by entering this covenant with me, and here's what you lose by entering this covenant. And, of course, the penalty being death. This is what Christ is iterating to the nation of Israel at this point. Uh, and getting across to them that, listen, I've given you the blessings and the cursings. He's saying this is a covenant. This is something between you and I. This is not to be taken lightly. If you're going to enter it, you need to understand and enter it that there will be prices to pay if you break this covenant. Can man ever keep a covenant with God? No. And yet, the Bible tells us that the New Testament, the, the New Covenant, the book of Hebrews calls it the New Covenant, Jesus, in the Last Supper, told His disciples when He gave them the, the cup, He said, uh, uh, take, drink, uh, this is the new covenant in My blood, which is shed for you. And He says, this is the establishing of a new covenant. And you know what the amazing thing is that Hebrews teaches me? It teaches me that Christ is the surety of that covenant. In other words, if I break the covenant, the penalty doesn't go to me. The penalty goes to the Lord Jesus Christ, and He already paid it on Calvary. That's an amazing thing. That, talk about eternal security. It wasn't dependent upon me. It's dependent upon Him. When I co-signed a, a, a loan for my kids to buy a car, I've done it for both of my daughters so far. What I'm telling the finance company is if they don't pay it, put it on my account. I'll take care of it. 
That's what I'm telling them. And cosine is even too light of a word when we talk about covenant. This is what they're dealing with here in verse 30. Uh, verse, uh, chapter 30. Look in verse number 19. Let's read it one more time with this in mind. Okay, this covenant. I call heaven and earth to record. There's a witness here. Heaven and earth is the witness of this. It's the record. I call them to record this, this day against you that I have set before you life and death. He said, if you do these things, you'll, you'll have a blessed life. And that's what he's done throughout these last two sermons that he's taught. And he says, if you break these things... There's death. There's going to be problems. This is what he's told them. I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore, choose life. (laughs) It's pretty simple. You can do this and live and have my blessing, or you can do this and be cursed and have death. It's a pretty simple choice, isn't it? And that's what he's telling them to do. Both thou and thy seed may live Now, notice verse number 20, and again, coming back to this thing, that thou mayest love the Lord thy God, and that thou mayest, what? Do we see see a parallel there to the other key verse we read in chapter 10? We're to love Him and obey Him. Love will always come, or obedience will always come from love. If we don't love Him, our obedience suffers. You struggle with obedience, you can look back and say, well, there's something wrong with my love for Him. Because when my love is right, my obedience will be right. Love thou, thou mayest love the Lord thy God, and thou mayest obey His voice, and thou mayest cleave unto Him. For He is thy life and the length of thy days, that thou mayest dwell in the land which the Lord sware unto thy fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. To give them. This is the reiteration of God coming to Israel, saying, Here are the terms of the covenant. He spent 30 chapters giving it to him. He says, Here it is. You now know there's life in this. You can choose that. Well, there's death in this. It's your choice. There's a covenant that's given here. So we find uh, these are the two key passages or verses, if you will. Deuteronomy chapter number 27 is kind of the, <coughs> the place where Moses uh, brings the commitment of their side of the covenant to the Lord. And uh, he takes the entire chapter to deal with this. He confirms the, the covenant. Um, and he says, To take heed to hearken, O Israel, uh, this day thou art become a people of the Lord thy God. And so this new generation, excuse me, this new generation now is entering into this covenant with God, a renewed expanded, uh, enlarged covenant that God has given to His children. You say, why was it enlarged? Because they're getting ready to go into the promised land. There were some things that they needed to know this time that they really didn't need to know last time. There were some things they were getting ready to deal with and do. Uh, there are th- uh, so we're, And we're going to talk about those real quick, and hopefully we'll have time to get through all of them. But there were things they were going to need this time around in, the new, in this new generation that the old generation weren't going to experience because they weren't going into the promised land. You say, well, didn't God give that before they sinned? Yes, He did. <laughs> it helps us to understand God had foreknowledge and knew what was getting ready to happen. It wasn't that He designed for it to happen. It wasn't that He made the children of Israel not believe and not go into the promised land. He did not harden their hearts. The Bible doesn't say that. 
but he did know. And so he gave them the law that they needed at the time. And then when they got ready to go into the promised land, there was some expansion of this. He deals with more civil matters of law. He gives them a code of law to obey for civil and social issues that were far, far greater in expansion than they were in the book of Leviticus. And again, because they're getting ready to go into a country, and they're getting ready to set up a nation, and they're getting ready to uh, be under a rule, and they needed these laws to be established and to be reminded of them. So uh, Deuteronomy is basically a record of the renewal of the Old Covenant that was given 38 years prior. <clears throat> it's divided into the three sermons. I already mentioned those to you. The divisions are this. Chapter 1 through the end of chapter number 4 is the first sermon. So chapter 1 through chapter 4 is the first one. Now that's mainly historical. That's Moses giving a history of what had transpired up to this point, including and a warning against the failure to believe God. He reiterates the fact that the, the Israelites came this, to this place before and were ready to go into Canaan, and they just didn't believe God. And so he does this in a large part to tell this new generation, listen, don't make the same mistake. I'm getting ready to leave. I know it. And he's telling them that. He says, look, I, this is my final farewell. I was there when they did it before. Don't make the same mistake. Can I tell you this? It's good for us sometimes to look at our history to go back and see where we used to be, where things used to be. Sometimes it's something that helps us get things right now because we realize that we used to be that way and we've drifted away from it. We used to be on fire for God and now we're cold and we need to get back to it. Other times we see that there's been a progressive growth and we see that there's a thanksgiving that we ought to give to God for that growth in our lives and a, a revitalization of our commitment and our purposing, Lord, I'm going to continue on this path. I want to continue to grow. And so it's good for us to see. Uh, in fact, oftentimes throughout, the, even in the New Testament, Peter says that there are times I need to stir you up by way of remembrance. There's not anything new he was teaching. He said just you need to be reminded of it because we've, we've, we are prone to forget. We're prone to forget what God has done in our lives. There was a fellow a number of years ago in our church down in Florida that uh, was a good friend of mine, a very dear friend. I still is. If I saw him today, uh, he'd hug my neck. We'd go get a bite to lunch together, and uh, I'd probably let him pay. You know, uh, good friend, a dear friend of mine. He really is, still is to this day. And I was not pastoring at the time. My dad was the pastor, but I was an assistant pastor, and he and I had a very close friendship. He was probably 15, 20 years older than I was. And uh, years ago, when I was a little, little kid, they'd been in our church, and they were very active members, very excited for the Lord, and very involved. I mean, they were doing everything that needed to be done. And somewhere along the line, they got their feelings hurt. And uh, somebody hurt them, and they left the church. And they were out of church. They just didn't go to any church. They tried a few and couldn't find one. They just didn't go anywhere. And did that for, for decades. I knew them. I, I saw them around town. They'd come see my dad. We'd bump into each other out in public. And we knew them. We were acquaintances with them. I didn't get to be a close friend with them, although my dad was, until later. But I remember them coming one Sunday just out of the clear blue, and they came to church. And, boy, I was excited to see them there. And uh, I didn't really remember them from when I was so little, because I was probably only two or three years old at the time. But uh, I had known them, and, and over the years had seen them out in public, and thought, boy, this is nice. They're, they're coming to church. And they started coming all the time. And then they came forward just a few weeks into it, and uh, they did what uh, they recalled a rededication of their life to the Lord. It wasn't getting re-saved. It was just saying, Lord, I want to recommit to things. 
And um, so they re- recommitted some things to the Lord, and they got active in the church again. And, boy, they were doing everything. I was leading the choir at the time, and they came and joined the choir, and, and he played an instrument, and uh, I think it was a trombone. I said, man, would you come play your instrument for the, the service? And I mean, anything you ask this guy to do, he did it. And I remember one service going to him, and we were talking just before the service, 10, 15 minutes before. And uh, we were talking about how good God was. And I said, yeah, and we were talking about things like this, about the nation of Israel and how they were on fire one minute and then away from the Lord the next. He said, you know what, Brother Greg, he said, man, I've been there. He said, I was there. He said, I'm back now. He said, you don't ever have to worry about me again. I am never going back. And as soon as he said it, I thought, there's something going to happen. Satan is going to put a target on this guy. And sure enough, he did. Within about six or eight months, that fellow left our church again. Still doesn't go to church. As far as I know, he's not even going to church at all. And I thought, boy, that's, that's a horrible place to be, isn't it? The, the idea that he had forgotten what it was like before when he was in the world. He, he, he needed to be reminded of that. And this new generation that's getting ready to go into the nation of Israel, go into Canaan land, uh, into the promised land, they needed to be reminded. Hey, listen, don't make that same mistake. Don't don't go back there. You don't want to go back to where you used to be. I'm glad I'm not what I I used to be. I, I'm glad I'm also not what I'm going to be. Uh, there's still room to grow. But can I tell you this? There are times if we're not careful, we will begin to slide back into the old ways. And the nation of Israel was no different than you and I are. And before we get overly critical of them and, and start bad-mouthing them for that, we are prone to the same things. So Moses takes his first sermon, and he basically deals with uh, the two main facts that he wanted them to learn in that first sermon was this. Number one, the moral judgment of God upon unbelief. The moral judgment of God upon unbelief. Whenever we have unbelief, we don't trust God. There is, there is a judgment that God brings to our life. And the second thing is, he wanted them to see that the deliverance and the provision of God during the times of obedience were always faithful. The deliverance and provision of God during the times of obedience were always faithful. And uh, I'll tell you, it's a wonderful thing to see God at work in our lives. It really is. I look around at Christians sometimes, I get so frustrated seeing Christians that walk around and they seem discouraged all the time. You ever, you ever seen those? You almost don't want to be around them. And they, they never smile, they never talk about how good God has been or the answers to prayer they got. They're always talking about the, the problems of life. And, I, you know, I, I think when I, when I look at things like that, I think there's something wrong there. There, there's something, you know, even in the midst of a valley, God is still there. There's something we can find to rejoice in. And uh, Moses wanted them to see in that first sermon that when there was unbelief, that God would give some judgment on them. But when they were uh, obedient, they believed Him and just did what He said. There was the, the deliverance and the provision of God. The second sermon takes place from chapter 4 and towards the end of chapter 4, verse number 44, all the way through chapter number 26, the second sermon. And this is the giving of uh, the law again, the re-expression of the law and the expansion of the law. And he does this for a reason. He does this to show them, now that they have restored from what they were they, in the first four chapters, they've now restored their relationship, their walk with God. He says, look, here's the law you need to follow in order to retain and to keep that relationship from God going sour. 
Uh, we talk sometimes we use the word backslidden. Uh, my life is backslidden, or I'm not as excited about the things of the Lord as I used to, or my relationship is not what it used to be. It's because we lack in these areas of obedience many times. So he deals with three main areas in the second sermon, and this is the giving, the re-giving of the law, the expansion of the law, and uh, kind of getting them prepared for going into the promised land. And um, we find that there uh, are three areas he deals with. Number one is... Uh, the testimonies that he gives, and the, he uses the word testimonies many times in chapters 5 through 11, and these are the moral duties. Um, these would be things uh, with relationship to God and His commandments, uh, not to forget the Lord our God, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy, things of a, a moral duties of man uh, when it comes to their uh, regard to God. The second one were known as the statutes. This is in chapter 12 through 16. And these were more of the worship uh, types that were to be done. The ceremonial feasts, uh, the tithes, the sacrifices that were made. These would be acts of worship, uh, things of a religious nature. And then the the third area was in chapter 16 through chapter 20 uh, of the second sermon. Uh, And these were called the ordinances. Now, the ordinances dealt more with like civil and social law. Uh, this was a system of justice. It had criminal laws in it. It told, told uh, the offenses. It told the penalties that were to be given. It dealt with things of property uh, and possessions. If there's a, an, an issue with it, here's how you handle it. Here's how you resolve it. It dealt with um, the way that they were to conduct war. There were some very specific instructions that God had given them for when they do go to war. That's going to be helpful to them because they're getting ready to go to war. They're getting ready to go into the promised land. And then he deals with issues of family and personal morality and purity. Family and personal morality and purity. And we find that in chapter 16 through 20. The third sermon that he teaches is uh, all foretelling things that are going to happen. So nothing in this third sermon is what is actually there right now. It's all dealing with what's going to take place. And that is in chapter 27 through chapter number 34. So again... You can pretty much take Deuteronomy divided into three things. Their history of the old generation, the charge to the new generation, and the telling or the foretelling of what's to come. And it's a real simple outline, a very high-level outline. You could outline Deuteronomy and have ten pages of outline, but really it's broken down into three big parts. And if you understand that, it will help you to get to the area of Deuteronomy. If you ever need to say, well, I wonder where it talks about this, you'll know there's three main parts in Deuteronomy. Uh, this is the section I need to go to. And so hopefully that will be helpful to you. Just a couple of uh, interesting notes and tidbits about Deuteronomy. As we get to the last chapter of the book of Deuteronomy, uh, we find that God buries Moses himself. That's an interesting thing, isn't it? Nobody knows where the grave of Moses is. And uh, there have been a lot of people speculate on that one, wonder why that is. There was a reference to the fact that there was no greater prophet than Moses. I personally believe that God had to bury him and keep it secret from the children of Israel to keep the children of Israel from coming back and worshiping the grave of Moses. You say, why do you think that, Pastor? Because on the Mount of Transfiguration in the book of Matthew, when Moses appears... Even the disciples said, let's build here three tabernacles. I think that God does not like to share His glory. 
I think we find that very clear in Scripture. What's His glory is His glory. It's not to be shared with anyone else. By the way, it's not to be shared with you or I either. We give glory to Him, not us. Everything that we are, everything that we are, if we are, if we are a morally clean person, if we are a mature Christian, if we are a Christian that lives a life that is pure and holy and has a testimony that is above reproach, all of that is not because of us, because of Him. And we need to recognize that fact, and we need to understand that fact. Moses uh, was buried by God. The interesting thing is Moses did finally get to enter the promised land. Did you notice that? <clears throat> he got to enter the promised land on the Mount of Transfiguration. Finally set foot in the promised land. Did it mean as much to him? Probably not. Because at that time, Moses was already with God. And, uh, oh, what a, what a joy. But he did get to get there. And... Um, then, if you will, let's take a few minutes. We're going to look at these last three verses and we'll be done. Let's go to chapter 34. Chapter number 34. And uh, let's go to verse number 5. And uh, I think these are some very fitting words. I'm sorry. Let's go, uh, go verse number 10. Verse number 10. I apologize. I have the wrong, wrong verse right now. Deuteronomy chapter 34, verse number 10. Very fitting words regarding Moses. And there arose not a prophet since in Israel like unto Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face. That's quite a testimony, isn't it? In all the signs and the wonders which the Lord sent him to do in the land of Egypt, to Pharaoh, to all his servants, to all the land, and in all the mighty hand, and in all the great terror which Moses showed in the sight of of all Israel. Boy, what a if he had a tombstone, I think that ought to be what's written on his tombstone. What a, what an amazing testimony Moses had. Was he perfect? No. He's just like you and I. He had tempers, he had frustration, he had anxiety, he had moments of lacking in his faith. But he was a man who knew God face to face. Wouldn't it be wonderful if you or I could be known that way? We had gotten to know God so close and so intimately that it could be said that we've known Him face to face. Maybe not in a physical appearance of our faces to His, but in our closeness, our relationship to Him. This ought to be the heartbeat of the book of Deuteronomy. Not only how to get back right with God and to have a relationship with Him, but how to stay there. How to stay there. Have we gotten to the place where we love God so much that one of the most precious things to us are His commands? The thing that we long for, the thing that we search the Scriptures for, when we come to read His pages, do we come kind of hesitantly thinking, boy, I hope I don't see something there I have to change today? Or do we come longing for those ordinances, those testimonies, those precepts? Do we long for His commands? And oh, that we could get to that place where we love Him that much. I think it would be a wonderful thing. Well, let's bow our heads in prayer and then we'll be ready for our next service here in a few moments. Lord, we're thankful for the opportunity, the privilege that You've given us to hold in our hands Your book in our language. Lord, many own several copies and what a blessing it is, what a privilege it is for us to be able to any time we want to pick it up and to read its pages and to know Your heart and to know Your will. Lord, I pray that you would help us to love it, to cherish it with all of our hearts.
May we learn to love you more through it as our relationship and our walk with you grows. I pray that you would help us to love you more each and every day. And Father, draw us closer to you, we pray. So many things that we can learn even from Old Testament books and Old Testament principles that you've given to your people. Lord, I pray that you would help us to learn those same things. May we grow daily. May we desire to love you more. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.